Hey, what is up, soccer fans all over the world? Welcome back to the Saudi Soccer Show. I'm one of your co-hosts, Brian Lofermento, as always, joined by the voice of soccer in America, Nick Webster. Nick, so much we're diving into. Feels good that club footy is back. Where are you at this week? Wow. Well, we've missed a couple of rounds of football, so there is so much to talk about. Obviously, the uh, Euro qualifiers, the AFC qualifiers, but club football is back. But it's only back for another four weeks, Brian. And then we've got more international football. But in the next four weeks, there is so much going on in the Saudi Pro League. Least of which is an incredible title race, maybe the best title race worldwide at the moment. I'm just going to pull up the league table as a quick spoiler alert at the top of this episode. Nick, what's really striking to me is one point difference between second and third, third and fourth, fourth and fifth, fifth and sixth, sixth and seventh. You go right on down this table and Every result matters. So I think that we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to start with a former Premier League talisman for Leicester City, which was an unlikely club to win the title back when they won it in England. Damari Gray to the rescue all the way over in Saudi Arabia. Well, I tell you what, he needed to come to the rescue because Gerard has been under a lot of pressure. Prior to this game, winless in three, they dropped eight points. Uh, in their previous game against Al Riyadh, the crowd, Brian... 696. Now, I don't know what's going on, but that is concerning. And when you think you had England captain Jordan Henderson playing in that game, it's not always the captain, but when Kane goes off, Henderson puts on the armband. He just played at Wembley Stadium against Italy in front of 90,000. Four days later, 696. Wasn't good. But uh, they managed to get the job done. And then this weekend, Alweda on the road, uh, they desperately needed to win again and uh, found themselves under pressure. Craig Goodwin of Alweda, Aussie International, pops up with two amazing goals. But here's an interesting one. Remember about four weeks ago, I was very harsh on Gigi Wijnaldum. I was saying, hey, he's not performing. Well, since, and I'm, I'm not saying he's listening to this show, okay? But since I stated that, when Oldham has been on a tear, another brace this weekend, his third and fourth of the season, tied it up at 2-2, and you could see Gerard, and he was just like a bag of nerves on the sideline, knowing that three points was an absolute must. And then your boy, Leicester City, ex-Leicester City, Fox in the Box, Damari Gray, in the 98th, eighth minute not the 90th minute the 98th minute his first for the club bags all three points for al-atifak and gerard can breathe for another few days because i've got a feeling brian that if he does not get this club into the champions league it's going to be one and done for stevie g yeah, and it's crazy looking at where Al Atifak is in the table, down in seventh place. But Nick, I remind listeners who can't necessarily see the league table if they're tuning in to audio only, is that three points bumps them way up into the top four. So things can change very quickly is the moral of the story here. And Damari Gray showed that nonetheless in the 98th minute. Now, Stevie G, as much as we have poked fun at him and his scouts accent in the Saudi soccer show over the past couple months, Nick, he's not the only manager who's facing some heat right now. So before we ta- start talking about the defending champions, let's talk about Al-Halal still at the top of the table 
no Neymar, no problem. Some praise needs to go their way right now. Well, Al Hilal are relying purely on a certain Mr. Mitrovic. He really is doing the business. They ground one out last time, 1-0, and I think a lot of that credit goes to Bono. He got his third consecutive clean sheet. Oh, hey, Jesus is probably like breathing a sigh of relief. Um, he's brought Aldessari back into the frame. He's skipper of the team again. And this was the big game of the weekend. Al-Ali, Al-Hilal, first versus fifth. And uh, what a start for Al-Hilal. Savage in the first minute of the game. I mean, did they need that one? Uh, that was his third goal of the season. Mitrovic, I mean, he had a wild game. He scored his eighth of the season and missed a penalty. Completely bonkers. So Maximin got uh, Al Ali back in the game with his third of the season. Only for Ibanez, who's uh, one of the big priced imports. I think he costs something like 30 million euros. Uh, an own goal in the, like the 86th minute. So that kind of gave Al Hilal the breathing room that they needed. And as you can see, no Neymar, no problem. However, I mean, this the we really haven't gone to the bottom of Neymar's contract. And I'm, I'm really curious. I'd love to be his agent. I'd love to be a lawyer. I'd love to know what is going on because he's on the most insane amount of money the world has ever seen. He's not going to play for 12 months, Brian. And when he does come back, is he going to see be the same player? But I guess in the meantime, we'll have to jump on the Mitrovic bandwagon and the Al Hilal bandwagon. They've got a what a four point lead at the top of the table. Hey, we've said before that every single game against the supposed top five is huge because it becomes like you know there's a you know there's a relegation six pointer in England. Well, this is a championship six-pointer at the other end of the table. And the fact that they've done the business again, uh, very good news for Jorge Jesus, takes the pressure off, and uh, Al-Hilal, they continue to roll. And I love their goal difference, plus 22. Yeah, Nick, I'll tell you what, you said one very obvious thing in there, which is we'd all love to be Neymar's agent and get that healthy commission <laughs> check on whatever that contract is that he signed. So absolutely true there. So much to look at and, and applaud for. You, you talked about Mitrovic. I think at this point in the season, we have to say he's the signing of the season so far. What an impact signing there. We'll talk about the golden boot race a little on in today's episode. But you also mentioned the top five or, or so-called the big five, which is certainly not the top five, Nick. When we look at the top four right now, it's Al-Halal in first in third is the surprise of the season, Al-Tawun. And in fourth is Al-Fateh, which is really refreshing to see because, I mean, that's a squad that's just been consistent with their results. But we are going to go to second place, Al-Nassar. They've been steamrolling up the table. And this week, we don't necessarily have to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo because it's last season's top scorer, Taliska, is on fire right now, Nick. Well, we'll step, we'll step back a week because I know you love talking about Rocket Ronnie. And he was on fire like Taliska last week. Two goals in four minutes. Uh, Al-Nassar scored one from Ronaldo, one from Taliska, his, his sixth goal of the season. It cancels out, you know, Uncono's opener for DeMarc. And so they've come into this game against Alfate. And you know what? Luis Castro, he's gone with a 4-2-3-1. And I think this is really important because now he's got these two holding midfielders, Seco and Forfana. Fofana cost 
25 million euros from Lance, but he provides that solid base that I'm such a huge fan of. Uh, and it's allowing Taliska the freedom to play with this Brazilian creativity that just creates opportunities all over the place. And I think, you you know, you mentioned Ronaldo didn't get on the score sheet this time. He didn't, but he did get his sixth assist of the season. Uh, but this, this base is allowing Ronaldo to go wherever he wants. And he's creating so much space now for Talisca, who scored his seventh and eighth of the season. So Al Nassar, you are 100% correct, Brian. They are the hottest team in the Saudi Pro League. Who, who can think back to seven, eight weeks ago when you had very sneakily two tables, <laughs> two tables where, you know, you had your, your, your top five and Al Nassar was sneaking there in 18th place. So I think one point from one point out of six. But since that since that time, they've just been on fire. And I guess a good good result today in the King's Cup as well. Yeah, so right as we're recording this, listeners, Al Nassar is playing in the King's Cup. Sadio Mane scored the winner in, I think, the 107th minute, which was not in regulation time. That was in extra time. So, yeah, things are rocking and rolling for Al Nassar right now, getting big result after big result. Nick, we're talking about Talisca, but... Cristiano Ronaldo, he's back to scoring free kicks. He's scoring with his right foot. He's scoring with his left foot. Potential Ballon d'Or candidate next year, I think it's safe to say. (laughs) We're going to get to that one in a minute, Brian. I know you're very upset about it. And listeners, beware. You don't often see Brian Luframento angry. You don't often hear vitriol. But uh, this one could steam up even my glasses. First things first, though, we've got to talk about the defending champions because as we look at the table, there's one club that's way out of place, and that is, of course, Al-Itihad, which, when we look at the table, sixth place. Nick, I remember we were singing their praises right out of the gates to begin the season with. They slotted right comfortably into that first place position. In England, you lot are always obsessed with the managerial sack watch. Something's got to be done there. Ooh, Mr. Sparito. He is under pressure. Eight points off top spot. I mean, that re- really, that's uh, mind-blowing. Prior to this game, they only had one, in, one win in their last four. That's four points from a possible 12. Now it's one win in their last five. This man is leading the sack race by a country mile. Uh, and they had such a good start. You know, Benzema with his fifth of the season. Although I'd like to see, you know, if Mitrovic can get eight and Ronaldo can get 11, you know, Benzema should be, he should be way up there. And I don't think he's been firing on all cylinders. Kadish got his first of the season. And really, it did look like three points in the bag. But then Soleimani in the 86th minute, late, late equaliser, three points gone, only one point dropping down the table. I mean, you're the defending champions of this league. You're the you're the the gold standard and you're in sixth place. I mean, can you imagine if we were let let's let's just let's could go to England, Manchester City in sixth place, PSG in sixth place, Inter Milan in, it's it's unheard of. And and managers get fired for less than that. Managers get fired for being in fourth place. So I would say there's a lot of pressure right now um, on the manager at Al Ittihad. And if they don't start turning it around pretty quickly, eight points, eight points already. I'm not saying their title's gone yet, but if they don't get it to within 
four points by the next international break. He's gone and El Etihad will not be repeating as champions. Yeah, which I think is an interesting point, Nick. It's something that you and I had speculated about a few weeks ago on the show, which is this season could have even more implications to finish as champions because there's a lot of murmurings about the top place club actually competing in the UEFA Champions League. And obviously, the Champions League, the UEFA Champions League is going through its own makeover. It's really weird as a Manchester United supporter hearing fellow supporters saying, yeah, we just got to finish top five to make the Champions League this year because it's always been four. But obviously, the Champions League is expanding. And part of that expansion, it's not official. But imagine how cool that would be to see the Saudi Pro League champion against Europe's elite. Al-Itihad is not going to be amongst that crowd, I think it's safe to say. No, and, uh, you know, I, I love the way you use imagine. And I, and I think the world is becoming smaller and smaller. And we're seeing FIFA make their big play uh, with the World Club Cup. I can't see UEFA just sitting on the sidelines going, oh, yeah, well, you bring all the best teams in the world and we'll just, you know, we'll just watch. No, UEFA, I think, is a, it's a better brand than FIFA. It's not tainted in scandal. Um, it's certainly not as seemingly corrupt as FIFA and why not? You know, all all you need is like you say, you need that imagination. I think the biggest clubs in world football are currently in Europe. And if they have the opportunity to welcome an Al Itihad and to, and look, let's be honest, we have to talk about money to see that money come into the European game. UEFA would be absolutely crazy to turn their noses up at it. And I think that's why, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, Brian. When these rumors start, they're not started by you or me. They're started by the heads of these big clubs because they see the dollar signs and they realize that world football is changing and it's time to bring more people to the party, not make it so exclusive. Yeah, and it's a formula that we know works. Nick, you and I have personally seen this here in North America. How cool is it now that North American teams will be invited to compete in Copa America, which traditionally has been a South American, a CONMEBOL tournament, and now you've got CONCACAF competing in it. If anything, it adds to the prestige of the tournament. Now you're not just the best of, you know, you're not just beating up on the Albanian champions or the Serbian (laughs) champions, but you're also facing the best of the best from top class leagues. Nick, how many times on the show have you and I talked about where's the Saudi Pro League rank amongst the world's leagues? Now we're talking about creating a true Champions League. So I think the formula is there. It's a natural segue, Nick, calling out FIFA. We've got to talk about the big news that the entire football world woke up to today. World Cup 2034. Australia has pulled their bid out. Nick, I think there's only one bidder now. There's only one bidder. It is, in fact, Saudi Arabia. I'm not saying we're jumping the bandwagon here, Brian, but we were doing the Saudi Pro League podcast before anybody else and before this huge announcement. Um, Where do we start? I'm not even sure how to unpack this one uh, because there is so much controversy surrounding it. Obviously, uh, the fact that bidding countries were given something like 24 days to submit a bid, uh, which is unheard of. Um, The costs involved uh, obviously put off the Australians. 
I'm hearing that you only have to like now build four soccer specific stadiums if you have some stadiums already in place. But with the 2030 World Cup being played in every country bar Saudi Arabia, it seems only fair that the Saudis get their shot. But it does seem, you know, look, 12 year, you know, Qatar 2022 in the Middle East in 2022, uh, 12 years later back in the Middle East, mm, seems, seems a bit quick. And then, of course, it's going to be another Winter World Cup. So I'm telling you right now, the European clubs are not happy. They are going to be – they're going to want to be compensated somehow. Uh, not sure how FIFA is going to massage it. I would imagine by expanding the World Club Cup to every team in the world. Uh, maybe even our Sunday League team can uh, – can pop in there as well. Um, but listen, all credit to Saudi Arabia. You know, they have positioned themselves quite superbly to be able to take FIFA's mandate, run with it, and looking at the success of Qatar 2022, I mean, what a World Cup. I mean, the games we saw in that edition of the tournament, perhaps the best ever. The final, without a doubt, one of the greatest games ever. If Saudi Arabia can pull off 50% of that, I think they'd be very, very happy. But yeah, it is stunning news. Um, it's going to be in the news cycle for the next, well, 11 years. It's not going to go away. Um yeah, I'm, 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 I'm flabbergasted, but I do want to give a shout out to the Saudi Arabian Football Association. They've done the right thing by saying, yes, we're in the mix. Um, the country is changing almost on an hourly basis, and they do realize that this, you know, the old dependency, uh, they've got to move away from that. And I think there's, there's lots of opportunities within a World Cup cycle, and this cycle is now going to last 11 years, to make some really dynamic changes within the country. So um, I'm interested to see how it's all going to play out. But, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a done deal. You know, where's, where's the rubber stamp? But 2034, the World Cup will be in the Middle East, and it will be in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, Nick, I want to pose this question to you. In full transparency for listeners, Nick, you were part of the organizing committee for the 1994 World Cup that was here in the US. And you've known me long enough to know that the one thing I care way more about than international football is club football. And so when the World Cup came to the US in 94, obviously, that was the start of Major League Soccer, which launched in 1996. That was the start of a totally new era in American soccer. And I'm super curious to hear your perspective on this because my fear from a club football perspective, from the Saudi Pro League perspective is I don't want the government. I don't want the public investment fund. I don't want the fans to say, hey, job done. This this is why we injected cash into the Saudi Pro League is because we want to bring the world here for the biggest stage of any event on planet Earth. Job done. I I want it to be the start of the job, which obviously it was here in the US. How do they balance that? I mean, now you're talking about an 11 year commitment to keep the Saudi Pro League gaining that momentum, or, or will they be able to? Well, look, it starts with the kids, it starts with the children. Children need to be, young children need to be inspired. I don't think you can find bigger inspirations in world football than your boy CR7. 
Uh, how many kids, you know, have started playing the game of soccer because of Ronaldo? I think that the Saudi Arabian national team has not performed since Roberto Mancini took over. I mean, they did, like we said, they, they did quite well in Qatar. They beat Argentina. Wow. Who ended up winning the tournament. But it's, it's building that infrastructure within the youth game so that it's self-sustaining. And from my perspective as a, as a coach and someone who, who deeply loves this game, if they start pouring the money in to the youth side of the thing and building that platform so that when 2034 comes around, not only is the Saudi and Arabian team uh, super and uber competitive, I mean, how many teams have won the world? How many countries have won the World Cup? I think it's like seven. You know, it, it would be incredible if somebody other than, you know, Italy or Brazil or Germany or Argentina could, could compete for the World Cup. The only way you're going to do that is by pumping lots of money into it. How are they going to do that? Saudi Arabia has lots of money. They want to pump it into a World Cup. So that means building football infrastructure. And if you have football inf infrastructure, then I think you can start developing developing the children. Yeah, I like that perspective. And, and it's a mature footballing perspective, obviously, because when we talk about an 11-year World Cup cycle, Nick, we're actually talking about that 11-year-old kid in, in Riyadh has the chance to be playing in the World Cup on his home soil. So yeah, very cool perspective and, and fun to imagine for, you're right, the youth. I saw a video of obviously Cristiano Ronaldo Jr., Ronaldo's son, plays for the Al Nassar Academy. And I saw after he scored a penalty this weekend, him and all of his teammates were doing the C celebration. So he is changing the landscape of football there. The more that we see these stars, and it increasingly sounds like Ronaldo wants to retire there. I saw videos of him at the, the major boxing match. Tyson Fury was obviously competing this weekend. And you see how happy and settled Ronaldo is there. And you're talking about 11 years now to build on that. So I hope that's the outcome. We've got to end on a really sour note, Nick, because the Ballon d'Or, you've already talked about FIFA's corruption. And we're having an eye forward on who's going to be football's world superstars safely. I'm glad that we can say it's the end of an era. Lionel Messi wins his eighth Ballon d'Or. It's absolute BS. Nick, what's your take? We haven't talked off air about this yet. <laughs> well, um, eight is a record that will probably never be beaten. Um, did Messi have the best of years at PSG? No, but he did do the one thing that all footballers dream about. He captained his team and won the World Cup. That is the jewel in the crown. Is Lionel Messi the best player in the world? No, but he's still one of the best players in the world. Um, he's come to Major League Soccer, which, you know, we know we could call it a farmer's league, um, but don't you reserve that for the Bundesliga, which I think is a little harsh, by the way. Um, were there other candidates for the best player in the world. I mean, I think Ir Ir Erling Haaland would certainly have a shout. 57 goals uh, scored in England in the calendar year is quite mind-boggling. Um, you know, Harry Kane, who I know you're not a big fan of. Jude Bellingham. Um, Kylian Mbappe, hat-trick in the World Mbappe. Cup final. Yeah, uh, lots of candidates, but, you know, FIFA... When FIFA gave Qatar the World Cup, um, 
there was a feeling, a general under, undercurrent, that they were going to do everything in their power to make sure Messi signed off with the title. If they're if they are if they are that powerful and that all-seeing, it comes as no surprise that they've decided to anoint Lionel Messi with the balloon de nor. The snore, sorry. The balloon de snore. <laughs> yeah. Nick, for me, hearing you even talk about that, you're right. Did he win the World Cup with Argentina? For sure. Does the World Cup exist over a four-week period? Yes, that is it. There's 48 other weeks in the year where Lionel Messi went missing. He didn't do anything for Paris Saint-Germain. He didn't even make the playoffs with Inter-Miami in Major League Soccer. He was a missing man. He didn't impress in the UEFA Champions League last season. So there's not much to report back on there. It makes me realize, Nick, that gosh, do I hope by the 2034 World Cup that if we want to hand out Ballon d'Ors for World Cup performances, we might as well have a trophy for the man of the tournament in the World Cup because sounds like Lionel Messi may have already won that one and I think that's all he was due. <laughs> well, the, the silver lining in, in the cloud for me is in 11 years' time, Jude Bellingham is going to be 31 years of age at the height of his powers. So I think we're going to see, I hope we're going to see a nice little double, England winning the World Cup, which please, please happened in my lifetime, and Jude Bellingham winning the Blue Door. Yes, a very early call. I think it's going to be Jude Bellingham's England taking on Portugal's Cristiano Ronaldo Jr. It's going to be an interesting one. Let it be. But Nick, we've got a lot of action coming up in the Saudi Pro League this week. What's one match that you've got your eyes on heading into the weekend? Well, the El Etihad clash is is, is so big for me. Uh, with the champions stumbling so hard, three points is an absolute must. If they fail this weekend, we will see the first managerial far end of the season. Yeah, I've got my eyes on Al Ali. They've got to start rebounding. We had early high hopes for them. I personally love their front three. Obviously, it's a front three that Premier League fans know and love. We've got Alan St. Maximin, Riyad Mahrez. Nick, who am I missing out on for Al Ali? Bobby Firmino. Always the scouser. So Al Ali is at home this weekend against Al Riyad, who have not been in the best of forms. And like we said, Three points could propel Al Ali all the way up to second place. So a lot to look forward to this week of action. So make sure you pound that subscribe button wherever it is that you're tuning in. We do love all the YouTube comments that are starting to come our way. So whether you tune in on YouTube or on Spotify or on iTunes or at our website, SaudiSoccerShow.com, hit that subscribe button and we'll see you as always every week here on the Saudi Soccer Show.